In the name of Jesus, amen. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So while Jesus was still soaking wet from his baptism by John in the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. And there God and the devil, good and evil Christ and the Antichrist, meet face to face to contend for your body and soul. And why did the Holy Spirit drive Jesus into the wilderness? So that he could prove the perfect obedience and holy righteousness of Christ. So Jesus withstood the violent storm of temptation, and he walked out of that wilderness with the victory. He had no spot or blemish of sin in him, and not once, not even for a second, doubted the Father or became discontent with what the Father handed him. He humbly obeyed the Father's will, even if it meant hungering, suffering, and being face-to-face with the devil. Christ's fear, love, and trust in God was unshaken, and it didn't waver for a moment. Jesus withstood all of these great temptations. But the problem is that the devil doesn't only tempt Jesus. He comes after us as well. And we don't do very well when he comes after us. If he couldn't succeed in having Jesus turn his face from the Father once, he's going to try day and night to get you to turn your face against Christ. And he does this through various temptations. The devil knows our strengths and our weaknesses. He knows what sins we think little of. He knows our sinful habits. He knows which sins we love the most, which commandments we hate. So he tempts us accordingly. So if you were in that wilderness with Jesus, which temptation would have been the greatest one for you? Would it be the temptation to feed your flesh, to satisfy your carnal desires? Would it be the temptation to put God to the test and ask him for a sign of his love, to demand him, uh, that he makes himself known or to prove that he exists? Or would it be the temptation to be liked and loved and gain recognition from the world, to have all the money, glory, and success that this world can offer? Well, dear saints, I know which temptation is the greatest for each and every one of you. I know which one is the hardest for you to resist. And the greatest and most damaging temptation isn't any of these temptations. The greatest temptation is to forget Jesus' temptation. What I mean by that is this. The greatest temptation is to forget what Jesus did. To forget what you heard him do and accomplish and win today. The greatest temptation is to hear of Christ's temptation and to think, well, that's a good job for Jesus. He did a good job. I knew he could do it. And then you go off and face temptation alone and sin and the devil alone. So the greatest temptation is to think that today was something that Jesus did only for himself. But it wasn't. His temptation isn't something He endured for himself. It's something he endured for you, for your sake, and for your salvation. But the devil is going to try with all of his might to get you to forget this. The greatest temptation isn't from the devil, uh, isn't going to come before you sin. 
Rather, the most damaging temptation comes after you sin. It's the temptation to forget the victory of Christ, to try and take matters into your own hands. So the devil will tempt you to pride or to despair, to diminish the gravity of your sin or to be crushed by the weight of God's law, to think that there's nothing you should do about your sin or that there's nothing that can be done about your sin. Either way, the devil is getting you to deny Christ's victory. So the first way the devil tempts you to do this is to be prideful. In other words, after you sin, the devil will tempt you to diminish your sin and say, you're telling me that gossip and a little white lie here and there means that I'll be condemned forever. Really? Seems like an overreaction. Or really just living together with someone I'm really serious about and I think I might one day marry is the reason I'm not going to heaven. Give me a break. Or holding a grudge against somebody I can't stand to be around, not forgiving someone who's repented is going to make me go to hell. That's ridiculous. Or whatever sin the Bible condemns that you believe is absurd and a complete overreaction on God's part and think that God can't possibly be serious about it. When the devil gets you to think this, he gets you to deny both God's law and his gospel. He tempts you to deny the law by having you think that the things that God calls sins aren't really sins or that he's not really serious when he speaks. Along with that, when you deny the law, the devil implicitly gets you to deny the gospel. The gospel is the forgiveness of sins. But if what you're doing isn't sin, then you don't need forgiveness now, do you? If the devil can, can get you to defend your sin or excuse it or explain it away somehow, if he can get you to come up with some sort of elaborate justification as to why the thing you did isn't that big of a deal, then he succeeded in also making you explain away your need for a savior. If what you do isn't really sin, then you don't really need a savior. You don't really need Christ or his crucifixion or his forgiveness. Things that are good don't need to be forgiven. And the healthy don't need a doctor. So pride and defensiveness go together. When you get defensive whenever your sin is called out and rebuked, it's because you've become so attached to it that you're, be that you're beginning to self-identify with it. You're getting to a point where you can't separate yourself from your sin. You can tell if you're at this point when your sin is called sin and instead of repenting of it, you take offense and get defensive and point out other people's faults instead to distract from your own. So this is the first way the devil, the, 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 the devil tempts you to reject Christ's victory over the devil. But he tempts you with pride after you sin. But the second way the devil tempts you is by leading you to despair. Now, it doesn't happen right away. It just takes some time. First, he leads you to think that, look, now that you've sinned, there's something you can do about it. And so you try. Rather than admitting your sin or confessing your guilt and repenting to God, you simply try to sweep it under the rug. 
And this time, instead of pointing out other people's sins, you try to cover it up with your own good deeds. So you work harder. You do better here and there. You you go the extra mile. You put yourself through the ringer just to make up for what you did before because you'd rather try to prove your worthiness than admit your unworthiness. The devil gives you a little comfort those first few days. He lets you think, look, you're actually getting away with it. You might not actually have to confess anything. You might not have to come clean about anything. If you just keep doing good, that's going to outweigh the bad. And it's just going to be lost in history. But the problem is is that God is omniscient. Even more, the guilt of that initial sin doesn't go away. It only grows. It gets deeper and darker. It starts to devour every good thing that you do. No matter how much work you do, no matter how much sweat falls off of your face, no matter how much blood and tears you shed, the guilt remains. Because good works cannot atone for sin. Sin has to be punished. It has to be destroyed. You can't fix one sin by doing a random act of kindness somewhere else. The first sin remains. This is the temptation to despair. This is when you're hit with the heaven-shattering reality that none of what you're doing is actually helping. Some Christians, in fact, it's very sad, throughout church history, believe that they had to atone and pay for their sins. And they had to pay in their own body the consequence of their sin. So they began to harm themselves and mutilate their flesh and beat their own bodies as a way to pay for their sins. But no matter what they did, the guilt remained. And many eventually, very sadly, killed themselves because they would rather deal with death than the burden of their guilt. Because they couldn't shake it. You see, the devil does his worst when he attacks you with both pride and despair. When he tempts you to be prideful before sinning and then to fall into despair after sinning. Before you sin, he says, look, this sin isn't that bad. Did God really say he would abandon you or condemn you for this? Is it really that big of a deal? And then once you fall into that sin, the devil comes quickly running back and saying, you know what? I was wrong. I think you really did it this time. That this is bad. God is angry. He is a jealous God. Just give up now. Just forget about this whole church thing. Just forget about heaven. Just live the rest of your life as best as you can. But it's all a lie. It's the devil's temptation to make you think that what Christ did in the wilderness was for himself and that it wasn't for you. But dear saints, everything that Christ did, everything he suffered, everything he endured was for you. Every drop of sweat, every ounce of blood, every gasp for air was completely for you. When Christ was forsaken by his Father on the cross, he faced his greatest temptation to forsake him back, but he didn't. He trusted the Father still and turned to him in prayer. And as Christ carried on him all the sin you've ever committed, as he carried in him all of the guilt that you've ever felt, and as he bore the wrath and anger of God against all sin, he was winning for you a victory over sin and the devil that can never be put to shame. 
Christ's victory over all temptation and sin wasn't simply a way to prove his own obedience to the Father. It indeed did this. But it was also the way to prove his unending, unbending, and undying love for you. Although his victory over the devil teaches you how to overcome temptation with the word of God. That's not all it is. His victory over the devil's temptations was accomplished so that he could impute all of his righteousness and sinlessness to you. So dear saints, you have been tempted to sin and you have sinned. You will be tempted to sin. And no one is safe from the devil's attacks. You'll fall into sin day after day and week after week and year after year until you have no more life or breath in you. But whenever you fall into temptation, whenever you sin, don't ever forget what Christ did for you. No matter how many temptations you have fallen into, even if you've sinned the same way a thousand times before, don't be deceived by the devil's great temptation to think that God has forsaken you, that you're alone in your sin, that you must defend it or die with it. Don't protect your sin. Don't make an excuse for it or explain it away. And you don't need to face the punishment of your sin. Christ already has. So repent. Turn away from yourself and your own efforts and your own works and turn to Christ. Confess your sin because God is faithful and just and he will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Remember that a Christian is not someone who has no sin or never feels it. A Christian is someone who puts their faith in Christ even when they fall into sin, admitting it. And trusting that God will forgive him through the wounds of Christ. You already have the victory over sin, death, and the devil. Because Christ's victory is your own. He has poured that victory on you. He has fed that victory to you. He speaks that victory to you day in and day out. So fight temptation with God's word, knowing that it cannot fail. Go and make things right with your brother and your sister, not to earn forgiveness, but because you've already been forgiven by Christ. Do every good thing with a clear conscience, joyfully and thankfully. Live a life free from pride and despair. Live a life of repentance and forgiveness knowing that now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you justify the ungodly, and you do not desire the death of the wicked. So graciously help us and shield everyone here at Zion against the devil's attacks, so that no temptation may separate us from your love in Christ. And when we do fall into sin, come quickly to our aid and deliver us from impenitence and teach us to confess the truth and receive your forgiveness and be reconciled to one another. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.